All right. Hey, once you've met someone, but only when you've met someone, you can take a seat. Hey, everyone. Good to see you guys. I hope you had a great Christmas. It's good to be with you. This is our last service of 2019, which is crazy. It's crazy thing. It's 2020. Um, but yeah, I hope you guys had a beautiful Christmas. Some of you already noticed, like, finally, Josiah has a new, a new shirt. I know. Finally. It's great. Um, it's, it's great to have something new. Hey, uh, it really is good to be with you guys. I love you guys, and I look so forward to gathering on Sundays. Um, do me a favor. Turn to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We would love to get you a Bible so you can follow along with us, but we'll be in John 17. Um, let me kind of explain uh, where we're at, what's going on, what's happening. Uh, I want you guys to know a couple key things that are happening. Uh, so, in three weekends, in three Sundays, uh, we're starting the book of Jonah, which is exciting. I cannot wait for that. But in three Sundays, it's our two-year anniversary, um, which is crazy. It's been two years since our launch day, January 21st, 2018. So uh, January 19th, that Sunday, 2020, January 19th, 2020, it's crazy to say that. Uh, we're having our two-year anniversary. Um, we're going to meet after church at Mayo Howard Park and just kind of have like a little party, a little picnic, food, bounce houses for the kids, have some fun. Uh, so it's a park in Deerfield. We'll post about this, but this is in three weeks. We just want to make sure you get it on your calendar. Don't do anything after church except come eat with us and hang with us on May 19th at Mayo Howard Park. Cool? Um, cannot wait to start the book of Jonah. Cannot wait for our two-year anniversary. So here's what's happening even next week. We're going to kind of talk through some vision stuff next week. We're actually continuing and finishing up our series, of what we're currently in, in a couple of weeks. So let me just kind of catch up to speed. Um, we're going through this last part of the year, and hopefully it sets you up really well for 2020. Uh, but we've been going through this series on spiritual disciplines, and we're calling it spiritual formation. And if you've been with us, we've had the same definition, but spiritual formation is being formed by the Spirit inwardly into the likeness of Jesus through timeless practices and disciplines. So basically, we've been trying to cover like the practice of prayer, of, of reading scripture, of fasting, of just soul care, um, of just different things, meditation, silence, solitude. We've been kind of walking through this, and I, I hope you've been able to practice this. We're not trying to do these things. We're training. If you remember, we're training to do these things. And so um, we're hoping that God just uses these things to make us more like his son. So this will prepare you for 2020 as you're like, new dreams, new goals. Well, you've already had some tools hopefully handed to you for some of that. So um, I'm very excited for today because uh, it's kind of crazy to think about this. This is our two-year anniversary in a few weeks, but this is our third service uh, right before the new year. And this is the third time we actually have my, our, our good friend, a good pastor friend, Pastor Casey Cleveland, who'll be teaching the Word. So Casey, come on up. Why don't you give up for Pastor Casey as he comes up? And let me really quick explain. Um, honestly, this guy's been a lot to me, a lot to our church. Uh, pastor Casey, you, you want to sit down there? You are such a, yeah, humble guy. You, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> pastor Casey's really kind of been that older brother mentor to me, and I know so many other guys in the area. And um, he actually serves as an elder pastor on the board of our church. Um, he's the pastor of Avenue Church in Delray Beach. And he church planted, I think, now 10 years ago. Sorry. No, you're good. I got you. Yeah. Yeah, we're coming up on 10 years this September. 10 years this September. And so, honestly, for us, we're at year two. And uh, it's just been good having someone who's just been kind of already walked that journey, and we can uh, talk to him, bounce ideas off him. So, listen, would you just give, again, a warm welcome, and thank you to Pastor Casey for being here. Thank you, man. My pleasure. My pleasure. Well, it is good to be with you guys today. Um, my name is Casey, and as, as uh, Josiah said, 
Uh, we are, we're good friends. Uh, I love getting to serve uh, with him, and uh, he's a brother. He's a friend. Get to serve on the board of your church, um, and, and so it's, it's, a, it's a great joy, um, all of those things. And so I'm, I'm extremely thankful uh, to have the opportunity uh, to do each and, each and every one of those things. So, hey, um, happy first Sunday after Christmas. Is anybody, like, in a little bit of depression right now? Just like a smidge of like you're like you started celebrating Christmas back in October and now it's over. If you're one of those people, you're one of my people. Um, so today is not the easiest Sunday, um, but uh, and for some of you, you're like, yes, Christmas is over. Now we can kind of get back to like the normalcy of, of real life. And so if that's you, um, you're not my people, but I still love you anyways, and I'm glad that you are here and. Uh, uh, looking forward to what God has to share with us uh, today. So just, hey, real quickly about me, um, like, like Josiah said, uh, part of the Avenue Church, and we planted, it'll be 10 years this, uh, this, uh, this uh, September, uh, came out of Spanish River Church, and uh, just been super, uh, super awesome journey uh, for us to walk through some of the different things uh, that the Lord has had for us, and just uh, growing closer to Him and falling more in love with Him has been our greatest gift, and, uh, and so hopefully Hopefully that will be your greatest gift as well. I've uh, been married uh, 23 years and um, have a 17-year-old uh, and a 14-year-old and a 4-year-old and a 3-year-old. So if you're doing the math, you might uh, wonder how that happened. Um, and uh, so it's, it's like it's... Uh, uh, what, what we call it. It's like divine math. So like when God, um, he, he interrupts everything going well to bring you some like really awesome, cool, beautiful chaos uh, called adoption. So um, that's how that happened. So we, we've got a little three and four-year-old who we were able to foster through four kids and then adopt and, uh, and, and call our own. So we are a, uh, uh, an exhausted but uh, excited family, and uh, we're, we're glad to be here with you. I've got my 17-year-old here with us today, my 14-year-old, and his first quote, his, the first thing he said to me w when he walked in was, can I eat that food? So um, he feels at home in your church already, and uh, we're, we're glad that he got some of your food back there. Let me pray. And, uh, and we'll, we'll hop in. Father, thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to be here. Lord, I just pray that you would uh, fill us with your spirit. God, that you would draw us close to your heart and, and from that, like, radically gracious and loving space, um, you would do a great, great work. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So um, thank you for opening your Bibles. We are going to be in John 17, um, but I have an invitation for you guys. Um, and as Josiah uh, invited you uh, to your two-year uh, anniversary, so too do I want to invite you guys. If some of you might be a little bit exhausted, um, you might uh, have, have been continuing to give yourself over and over again. And that's a, that's a really uh, good thing. Uh, today, I want to invite you to be refreshed. I want to invite you guys to be refreshed in a prayer that Jesus prays and... and um, if Jesus is praying this prayer, and, and he's the one who is like, uh, loves to give not only his joy, but his refreshment, uh, I'm just going to believe for you and believe for me that as we work through this passage, it's going to be a refreshment uh, to you. And, and, and here, here's the invitation, that you would go as you've been sent. Um, that you would go as you've been sent. And so um, maybe you're familiar with the idea that we're a sent uh, people. 
And so if we were to actually go the way we were sent, it would probably be pretty refreshing, especially if the one who sends us is into that. You know, like, like whatever the one who sends you is into will probably have a big effect on you while you're being sent. And, and so the one who is in, the, the one who sends us, uh, our, our great sender loves joy. He loves peace. He loves love. And he loves refreshment. And so we can actually expect those things to be ours in increasing measure if we go the way we were sent. And thinking through um, what does it mean uh, to, to be sent. Uh, and so a couple of thoughts just on the idea of being sent. The idea of being sent means that you actually have one um, who, who has greater authority uh, than you who's doing the sending. Uh, and, and so if, if you were here on your own authority, then, well, then that would mean that you weren't sent. But because we believe that we're se- a sent people, we have to believe first and foremost that there's somebody greater than us um, sending us. And, and his, his authority should probably affect how we go. And so we're probably familiar with a few things, a, a, few, a few Ps, if you will, the purpose of the mission. Right? And so um, for, for many of us, if you've grown up in the church or you've been around just a little bit, you're familiar with th- this idea that God has come to, to rescue us, that he's come um, to, to rescue and restore all of creation. And so we know that the purpose of the mission is that God is bringing restoration. He's bringing healing. He's bringing forgiveness, all those things. And um, he's, he's started, he broke into humanity um, through Christ. And obviously he started before that, but Christ is the fulfillment of that rescue mission and he promises to come again one day and restore all things but we know that through his death and resurrection through the great exchange the name of your church that that um that rescue mission begins in our hearts and we can experience that so you're probably familiar with the with the purpose of the mission the place of the mission uh well for you guys it's right here deerfield beach right i mean coconut creek i'm not what, what exactly city are we in right here deerfield is that right okay so this is this is your place it's not my place. Well, it is today because I'm with you guys. My place is up in, up in Delray. But you guys, not, you not only know the purpose of your mission, you also know the place of your mission. You're like a sent church. And, and so even whether you live here or not, if you're affiliated and you're a part of this church family, the place of your mission, yes, it's where you live, work, and play, but, but it's where your church is. And it's where God has called you out as a sent people. And so if you're familiar with the purpose and the place the people of your mission, as you get to know the people more and more, you become more and more familiar with, with the people of your mission. But today we want to do a little bit of uh, time with, with like the practice of the mission and the pattern of the mission, the practice and the pattern of, of the mission. Because the longer I'm on mission with Jesus and for Jesus, the more I realize there's an actual like pattern to the way this mission is supposed to go. And it's not like up to me. And so um, as, as, we, as we do that, um, we're going we're gonna to be in John 17, and, and sort of our key verse, if you want to underline one or just kind of circle one, get ready for one, is this, um, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. John 17, um, uh, verses 13 through 19. But now I'm coming to you, Jesus praying to the Father, but now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my, full, my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, 
and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Okay, so, so first, let's, let's make clear one of the things that's important on Jesus' heart as he prays for us. It's his joy being fulfilled in us. And so as, as you hear the word of God, whether it's this Sunday or, or any, any of the Sundays that you've heard it, especially like as we start to think of these spiritual disciplines, as we start to think about training um, into the ways of Jesus, let us not forget that God is radically captivated by your joy. He's like way more concerned about the joy of your heart than you are. And so as you, as you think about these things that you guys have been learning and studying, the, the spiritual disciplines, prayer, fasting, these things, uh, even, even as we think about the, the pattern of the mission, we think about that maybe as a spiritual discipline, as, as, a, as something that we need to be intentional about where we're going to um, experience the presence of Jesus. Like, don't lose sight of the fact that these things are about your joy being fulfilled. He says this in verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Okay, so the, the context of this particular passage is Jesus is praying for his disciples. We know that he prays for the world and then specifically for us after. But we can see and we can learn and we can apply that his, his prayer for his disciples also uh, gives us the pattern by which we are sent. And so Jesus isn't praying an escapist prayer. He's not asking uh, the Father to take the disciples out of the world, to take the disciples out of trouble. He's praying for protection. Well, you wouldn't need protection unless you were in danger, right? Like there would be no reason for Jesus to pray for your protection unless you had put yourself in a dangerous position, which is right in the middle of enemy territory, winning ground from the enemy for the king. Okay, so that's the context. Jesus is praying for his disciples because they're going to go out and do that first, and then they're going to then create the space for us to enter into that and continue the mission of making disciples that make disciples. So first of all, we have an enemy that hates that. We're going to need protection, and we're, 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 not, we're not prayed for that we would escape from that, but that we would enter into that protected, but in a specific way. And what way does Jesus pray that we would enter into it? the same way that he was sent. So what that tells us is there's an actual pattern. There's a way that we are to go about making disciples that make disciples that, that's important to Jesus. And most likely attached to it would be our joy or, or the fulfillment of his joy in us as he talks about in this particular passage. And so the question that you have to ask yourself is how exactly did the father send the son? So, so how did how was Jesus sent? Like, what was the pattern that the Father sent the Son? Now, if you're new, maybe this is your first time, you know, to the exchange, and so welcome. What a great way to almost start 2020. Um, maybe maybe um, this is kind of your first time back in church, or, you're, or, or maybe this is your first time in church ever. Let's, I want to make sure that you understand the mission that we're talking about. Before we get uh, too deep into the pattern of the mission, we've talked about rescue and renew, but if you don't know what you need rescue from, then you won't understand that the pattern really won't make as much sense as, as it would if you understood the whole, the whole purpose for the mission. And you have to understand 
that, that there is a reason why Jesus came. He came to seek and save the lost. And so the rescue that we need is a rescue from our sin and it's a rescue from ourselves. And so as we, are, as we look at the, at the pattern of humanity, as we look at the, at the condition of humanity, we've been born into sin. And because God is holy and perfect and just, he can't receive us as we come. He must bring a penalty and a punishment for our sin, and that penalty is death. There's, there's, a, there's all sorts of types of death. There's a, there's a physical death that we're very familiar with. There's a spiritual death where we don't know him the way that we're supposed to, and there's, there's actually an eternal death. All three of those deaths are parts of the consequence of our sin before a holy God. But the love of the Father says, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. I am going to rescue them. I'm going to do something about their condition. And so God the Son steps into the world in our place. And he lives the life that we could only dream of living, always honoring and pleasing the Father for his joy and also for the purpose of going to the cross, that he would be able to take upon your sin and my sin and die in our place received the due wrath and penalty from the Father that we should have received, and on the third day overcome that penalty. Rescue, giving us the opportunity to be rescued from our sin and from our suffering if we would turn and receive that sacrifice on our behalf. And so the rescue mission that I'm, I'm referring to is it, it has a pattern to it, but it has a purpose to it. And if you don't understand the purpose to it, the pattern might not make quite as much sense. And so the purpose is that you would receive Christ as Savior, that you would turn from your sin and trust in his finished work, that you would be forgiven, that you would be given new life, that you would be rescued from your sin, you'd be rescued from yourself, and you'd be given the life that God has for you in Christ through faith and repentance, through quitting on yourself and saying, Jesus, you are enough. That's the, that's the rescue mission, but there's an actual pattern to the way that happened. That's not just a message. That's, that's like a whole lifestyle. There's a, there's a practice to the way that Jesus was sent, and I believe that it defines the way that we now go toward other people. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, how did the Father send the Son? Like, what was the pattern by which the Son was sent? How did that message that I just shared with you get lived out? It's very important to the way that we approach other people, especially as we start to think about community. There's, um, I think, a really uh, distinct answer to this, and it's found in uh, the first chapter of John. John 1, 14. Here's what Jesus says, or here's what the Word says about um, Jesus. It says this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So how did the Father send the Son? Well, he sent him by the Son becoming flesh and dwelling among us. He became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, the framework that I want to work through today in the, in the remainder of our time, um, it, it's been influenced uh, by some material by a guy named uh, Paul Tripp in his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. Uh, and this has been a, a big culture shaper for us at the Avenue Church. It's been a culture shaper for the way I parent, the way I am uh, interact with my wife, the way I interact with Josiah, uh, how we do community. 
we've actually um, trained in this, and, and it's become somewhat of a spiritual discipline, as Josiah and I were talking about. It's become somewhat of a, a training intentionality for us uh, because we believe it's the pattern that God sent the Son, and it's, and it's the place where we experience Jesus the most as it pertains to community. And so I want to just let you know, like, you, you'll see a lot of this uh, coming from, from some of that material. But, but as we look in the scriptures, we see that there is a, a specific way that Jesus was sent. He became flesh, and he dwelt among us. And so there's, there's four sort of key words that will guide the rest of our time. Love, know, speak, do. Love, know, speak, do. What does that mean? Well, as, as, we, as we meditate and think about, like, um, he became flesh, and he dwelt among us. So he, he put on who we are, and he, and he came to live with a, w- among us. The first, the first stop in that pattern is love, love. And so what that means is, is, is he comes to us. So there's, a, there's an actual pattern in the way that Jesus was sent and the way that he wants us to go, and the first stop in that pattern is love. He comes to us. The second one? He lives with us. He lives with us. It says that he not only came to us and and put on our flesh, but that he lives with us. And so in order to live with somebody, you begin to know that person. So so the first move of the mission is that he would come to us. That's defined as love. The second move is that he would know us and he would dwell with us. You know, it's interesting. Jesus hung out with us for 30 years before he ever, like, preached the message or got after the business of his public ministry. 30 years of just dwelling and knowing us. There's something, too, that I think as, as we think about the pattern by which we go. Thirdly, he became flesh and he dwelt with us, which meant that he also shared things with us. He shares with us the secrets of the kingdom. He shares with us the Father's heart. And so he does speak, but we see that it's third in the pattern of the mission. And then finally, he does for us. He became flesh. He dwelt among us. But then he actually did something for us. He brought us the kingdom, and he won us a victory that we could not win for ourselves by going to a cross and overcoming our sin and overcoming our death. He does for us. Love, no, speak, do. If we look just at the life of Jesus and we look at what the word tells us about the word in John 1, we see that he became flesh and he dwelt among us. If we just think about that for a minute, we're going to begin to see the pattern that we should go in as well. Here's, remember Jesus' prayer, that, that you guys, that I would be sent the same way that he was sent. Well, how was he sent? He became flesh. He dwelt among us. That means that he loved us. He knew us. He spoke to us. And then he did life with us in that particular order. Let's break that down a little bit. Because I think sometimes the church, my own heart, whoever you might be, gets it wrong. The first one is love love. Um, lots of ways to, to define love. Biblically, um, we see that one of the ways to define love is entering the world of another. Again, if you look at the pattern by which um, Jesus was sent, the, the first expression of love is that he comes to dwell with us as a baby. 
He doesn't come with like this amazing campaign with a ton of PR and a lot of um, invite. He just comes in, in, the, in the helpless and humble form of a baby. And so when we start to think about what, what's the first step of love? What, what would be the first action of love? Some of us might think it's to, you know, um, share the heart of God. And I, I guess there's, there's probably um, situations where that's appropriate. Some of us might think it would be doing something for someone. Again, there might be situations where that's appropriate, but I'm talking about the, the normal pattern, not a one, the normal pattern for which God broke into humanity and rescued us. The way that Jesus was sent, his first step of love was to simply enter our world. He broke into our world and became one of us. I think this reminds me of, of the power of, of getting on the floor. Um, now, this is, this is not like uh, a power that you would probably uh, be that familiar with if, if you don't have three and four-year-olds. But if you have three and four-year-olds or you work in, what's exchange kids ministry called? E-kids. If you work in e-kids, then getting on the floor is probably one of the most loving things that you can do. Because what you are doing by getting on the floor is you are breaking in, you are entering into the world of a child who needs you to speak to them eye to eye, not kneecap to forehead. I'm convinced the more I'm around kids, the more you should have very few conversations, if possible, while standing. Like the more you can get, I've been working on this posture, ready? Watch this, I, I can't hang out here very long. But just like this, the more you can get just like this, and begin to share with them whatever might be important to you. Begin to listen from them about whatever is important to them. Begin to enter into their worlds of trucks or dolls or, or, or whether it's baseball, whatever, whatever it might be. The more you can get on the floor, the more you're expressing, I love you, you're valuable to me enough to leave my posture and enter your world. So the first step of being sent the way that Jesus was sent is figuring out how you can get on the floor with the people around you. I don't know what that looks like for you and your community. Remember, I know what it looks like in Delray. I don't know what it looks like in Deerfield. But that's up to you to know. That's up to you to seek the heart of the Father and say, how can we express the power of getting on the floor with the people of Delray, um, Deerfield. How can we enter into the world of others? And listen, you will not be able to do that for Deerfield if you're not doing that for one another. And so the first place that you do that is in the house of God. I think it, it kind of like sets up uh, a tension. And as we work through all four of these, there's going to be four tensions if you're taking notes. The first tension is going versus gathering. Going versus gathering. I think sometimes in the church, we have a gathering mentality. How can we gather as many people to this event? Like, we, uh, we're not, um, what's the word? We're not immune to it. So we just had a big Christmas Eve service. We had big Christmas Eve invites, and it was like social media and all these sort of things. Like, we were with every other church out there saying, hey, come on, we'd love to have you. We, we had like a really, like an invitational spirit. And there's, that's, that's not bad. It's just not the most loving first step. 
the most loving first step is to get on the floor with the people that you think you might want to invite to enter into their world. And so you, you have this first initial tension of going versus gathering. It's way easier to think of an amazing like social media campaign to gather a ton of people than it is to slowly go into other people's worlds and just be with them, enter in, listen, learn. Going versus gathering. It's a mentality shift where we begin to redefine success, not from how many people came to our event, but from how many conversations we had with one another and, and with lost people. Going versus gathering. As you look at the life of Jesus, I think he models this pretty well, right? There are not too many like huge events that he spends months for getting ready. I mean, he feeds people, but how does he feed 5,000 plus people? It's not because he like sent out a bunch of cool flyers and stuff like windshields and said like, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be all you can eat. No, no, no. It was actually in response to having gone to another place. He was going all the time. He spent three years going. That's how he defined his ministry. He didn't stop and gather and build. He went over and over and over again. Now, is there anything wrong with being in Delray or being in Deerfield and, and having a gathering? Absolutely not. As long as the gathering is defined more by its going rather than just its huddling. Going versus gathering, this would take a, like a new commitment. I'm inviting you to that new commitment. Secondly, knowing. Knowing. Well, so, so this, is, this would be defined with, uh, by not only being with others, but, but, but knowing others. And as we think about Jesus dwelling among us, we think about the, what the Word says about the Word. You don't have to look very far in the New Testament to realize that like, um, Jesus was one who was familiar with our sufferings, right? He was, one, he was a high priest who could sympathize with us. And so he was like a, a common guy. I mean, he was fully God, but he was fully man. And so what that means is that he was the appropriate sacrifice for our sin because he had none of his own. But it also meant he knew what it meant to walk through the brokenness and the suffering and the chaos that we call like Tuesday. Like he knew that well. And so the second step, if you will, to being sent like Jesus has been sent, this, the second step to staying refreshed on mission is that you would just know people. That you would begin to enter into people's story. I would call this like the power of story. Both their story and your story. So if the first step is entering the world and just simply figuring out how you can get on the floor with people around you, then the second step would be while you're there, not being so committed to your own like, agenda of what you want to share, but being like a radically amazing listener and entering their story. Like there's great power in story. Why do you think so much of the scripture is in narrative form? It's like, it's like one narrative after the other. The Gospels is the narrative, narrative, narrative. Is it historical? Yes. Is it accurate? Yes. Is it inerrant? Yes. Is there a, is there a lot of narrative in the scriptures? Yes. 
Yes. Why? Because there's power in story. Everybody loves to tell you their story. Like, like, and everybody loves to be heard while they're sharing their story. And so as I think about story, it's not only their story that's powerful and that allows you to know them. It's also your story that you share. When we share one another's stories and you get to know not just like the first three chapters, but the back three that I don't normally share, we've just then established something that's, that's somewhat unique and distinct from what the world has to offer, being fully known and fully loved. The gospel invites us into that. We've been sent with that type of power. So what's the tension here in, in step two of being sent like Jesus has been sent? The tension is questions versus statements. Questions versus statements. So Jesus came, he put on flesh, and he dwelt among us. Well, what did he do while he was dwelling among us? One of the things that he's like famous for doing is asking questions. One of the things that the church can sometimes be famous for doing is making statements. There's nothing wrong with the truth. I love the truth. There is a time and a place to make statements. But understand, if we are going to be sent the way that Jesus has been sent, look at where that comes. That's like third in the pattern of the mission, not first. Are there times, are there places when statements are appropriate leading off? Of course. But so many times, over and over and over in the ministry of Jesus, he was asked a question, and do you know how he responded? With a question. He was way more known for his question asking than his statement making. And that was pretty common for rabbis of the day. It was like a rabbinical way of training their students in questions. And so as we think about training in spiritual disciplines, there is a spiritual discipline, I believe, to doing community with one another and being sent on mission. And one of the disciplines that I think is what we're looking at here today, and specific to that discipline, is becoming better question askers. Like, I would, I would probably assume that many of you know your scriptures and, and you, you would know exactly, like, what to um, tack on to a situation. You, you've got your, like, passages from Joshua. You could go Old Testament. You've got your Romans 8. You've got, you, like, you're ready. You're equipped to attach an appropriate Bible verse to the situation. But it's not always the same truth that the Spirit wants to apply. And one of the ways that you give the Spirit time and you wait on the Lord is by asking questions rather than jumping to statements. I've seen it over and over again, and we see it in the life of Jesus. And so questions versus statements, that's kind of like a new commitment to simply be known maybe in 2020 as an amazing Spirit-led question asker rather than the guy or the girl that had the right thing to say. Third is speaking. This is all about applying um, the gospel. Now, as we think about the way that Jesus was sent, we think about the order of it. Look where this falls. This is third. And for many of us, we feel a pressure for this to be first. Like, I'm with you. So when, when I uh, find myself in a situation, 
I'm, I can sometimes be the only Christian or I can be like the, the like pastor or whatever in the room. And so as the discussion is happening between within the community, eventually, like I'm expected to say something right and holy. Like that's just kind of this weird expectation that, that comes with sometimes who you are. And at work or in your family or whatever, you might be the person who has that expectation of, of like saying the right thing all the time. Like, like you've got to speak it. And again, there's nothing wrong with saying the right thing. It's just when you say it really matters. Love, enter their world. Know, enter their story. Speak. Now you've created a context where you haven't spoken too fast, where you went in front of the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes the first Bible verse that comes to your mind might not be the heart of God for that particular situation. And so there's a timing. There's a listening to the Holy Spirit while you're listening to another story that questions allow you to get to that by the time it, it is that you're ready to speak, you may, have, you may have changed. The Holy Spirit may have altered what you want to share with a particular person. And so speaking here isn't just speaking Bible verses to a, another person. It's applying the gospel. You know there's a difference, right? There's a difference between giving somebody a Bible verse and applying the gospel. The gospel is found in the Bible, and you can do it through Bible verses. But there, there are times when you can share a biblical truth that was not exactly what that heart needed, and, it, and, it can, and you can like miss the moment. Sharing the good news of Christ for that particular person in that particular moment is not always found in the verses that you've memorized. But it is found in the heart of God. As you enter their world, ask well-informed, spirit-led questions, and listen to what the Spirit is speaking to you in that moment for that particular situation. Applying the gospel. And so this, this would bring us to the power of the Holy Spirit, and, and Jesus was sent with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, in need of the Holy Spirit, just like we are on our mission. And so it brings us to the third move of the mission. And like, it's, it's this idea that we need the Holy Spirit to do all of these things, especially as it pertains to our speaking, especially as it pertains to us applying God's truth and wisdom to a particular situation. The tension that we feel here, I think, is, is the tension between invitation and correction. There's a tension here when it comes time to speak between invitation and correction. It's very easy to correct. It's very easy to see people, especially when we're in community, because this isn't just how we approach the loss. This is how we approach one another first. And it's, it's sometimes like really easy to see somebody's error and to correct. And the scriptures call us to correct. That's, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that when, when we begin to speak, after we've heard their story and we've entered, I think that oftentimes, because God is so invitational, rather than just um, a brief correction and then moving on, I would just have you ponder, is God maybe using you to invite someone into joining him in what he's doing in their heart rather than just giving a brief correction like I might give to my three-year-old because we needed to get in the car and just move on with life. There's times when brief correction is needed. But it seems like the pattern that you've been sent with is entering their world, 
knowing their story, and then when it comes time to speak, asking God's Holy Spirit, where is it that you want to do your work, and how can I invite Josiah? How can I invite Mike? How can I invite Catherine? How can I invite Kimber to join you, God, rather than just making the correction for them? Invitation versus correction. Then finally, do. Do. Um, so at the, at, the, at the AC, at the Avenue, our, our mission is bringing the beauty of Jesus to brokenness. Everyone has the same mission, make disciples that make disciples, but each church has like a unique expression of that mission. And so for us, we're all about like bringing the beauty of Jesus to brokenness. We're, we're, for some reason, we're like mag- magnets to brokenness. We love it when you come in. It's like we can smell you. It's like, oh, broken right there. <laughs> let's go get Let's go get them. <laughs> but why? Because we're broken. And we, we like are attracted to like kind. And so when you begin to realize more and more your brokenness and your need for Jesus post-conversion, then you're attracted to seeing Jesus and his beauty begin to bring wholeness and healing to other people in that same situation. And so um, in, this, in this particular category, this, this is the idea of bringing the beauty of Jesus to brokenness. And this is, this is the fourth sort of way that we've been sent. And like I said, the order um, does matter. And, and this one I would call is, is the power of staying with. The power of staying with. Um, anybody here familiar with the, the Jesus Storybook Bible? Jesus Storybook Bible? Okay, cool. Cool, all right. Um, so um, when you have kids, this should be like one of your first purchases. Or if like Josiah is dedicating babies and you don't know what to do for that family, buy them the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's this amazing uh, Bible that points every one of the stories to the redemptive work of Jesus. And it looks at the scripture not as a collection of multiple stories, but as one great story with Jesus as the hero. It's amazing. It's amazing stuff. Well, there's a definition. It's by Sally Lloyd-Jones, and there's a definition of love in the Jesus Storybook Bible that I think is, is a good place for us to, to finish our time here on the, on the fourth, sort of the fourth move of, of the way we've been sent. And this is how she defines it. God's love, the never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking always and forever love. How, how many of you, I don't just see a show of hands, just like, let's just process this for a minute. How many of you, during your time here at the exchange, have, have experienced that from somebody else at the exchange? The never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. You know, to actually experience that, you probably have to hurt each other. You probably have to share that you're still stuck in your sin. And you probably have to allow people in. And the only way that you're going to allow people in, most of the time, is if they've entered your world and gotten on the floor with you, if they know your story well enough, if you've given them the right to speak some truth and you've been vulnerable with them. You see, these things happen here, but there's a power in the way that Jesus was sent. And the power was like the staying with power. The power is in this love. This love that says, I see you. I know we're here again, and I still want you. I'm inviting you to me. 
the tension, if you will, in this last one is three years versus three months. Like we want to see oftentimes discipleship in three months. Somebody gets saved, and by month three, we're convinced that there should be no more porn in their life, they, no like profanity gone, they should have a vibrant like uh, journal time, you know, it should just be praise and worship all the time, whatever. Like I'm, I'm a little bit extreme here, but like, but we have such a high expectation for what can happen in three months. And I think sometimes a low appreciation for what can happen in three years. Like Jesus hung out with these guys for three years. And even at the end of the third year, it wasn't like they were crushing it, right? Like he's got to go reinstate Peter and Peter is still jealous of John and all this. Like they're still not getting it. But the way Jesus was sent was with this never stopping, never giving up, I'm with you no matter what type of love. And that's the kindness that leads to repentance. That's the loyalty and the love that actually brings about change in community and wins people to to Jesus. And so as we think about how we've been sent, we've we've got to come to grips with this tension between what we expect can happen in three months or in a semester of an amazing small group with crazy awesome curriculum and what can happen when we just decide to stay with even while the mess keeps needing Jesus. It's a commitment to doing life, to doing life with one another. And so this is what Jesus said. As I have been sent, so I'm sending you. And so my final thought here, sort of question, if you will, is like, how do, how do we do this? How is it that we, that we love people and we enter their worlds and, and, and that we know them and we, we become better at question asking and, and that, that we actually apply the gospel to their gospel need, not just simply like the latest verse we've memorized and and we do life with people, that's an impossible task. You know that, right? It takes a, a, a crazy amount of time that you don't have. Uh, love, energy, all those things, you can barely pull that off for people who have your last name and live under your same roof, much less other people who are outside of that circle. How is it that we, in any way, shape, or form, are going to be able to be refreshed by being sent the way that Jesus has been sent? And I think it all comes down to one word, proximity. This is kind of my final question for you guys. Could it be that more than anything that we've looked at today or or that that you guys are going to move forward into, into 2020, could it be that more than anything Jesus is inviting you to proximity with him? Because as I look at the way that Jesus was sent, it was as though it meant life or death to get with the Father. Have you ever noticed that about Jesus? It's like he's always going, he's doing these things. He's love, no speak, and doing all the time. But it's as if, like, the world would stop if he didn't get time with his father. Like, the proximity that Jesus needed to the father seemed to be dependent on the mission. And I would suggest the same is true for us. That maybe the most important thing that we take away from this morning and and the way that you guys have been looking at spiritual disciplines is that it's life or death that you stay close to the Father. Because these things, these things are in the Father's heart. If you're going to be sent 
the way that Jesus was sent, that means that you're going to be sent like with the things of the Father's heart. And so if you want to continue to be refreshed in the things of the Father's heart and sent in his way, you've got to stay close to his heart. We're a few months and weeks away, I'm told, of sending my 17-year-old, who's now 18-year-old daughter, to college. I'm told she's going to leave the house. I don't know if I believe it, but I'm told that like, there's going to come a time when we're going to drive her up to Butler University in Indianapolis, and we're going to unload her car and, I don't know, pack her room or do whatever you do if you're a college parent, and then we're going to drive away, and she's not going to come back. I mean, like, immediately. <laughs> Maybe the first weekend or so. But, like, like we're, we're going to be sending her away. And as I thought about what's been most important to our preparing her to be sent in a specific way, you know, we, we've had goals as it pertains to parenting. And they've been this, that our children would fall deeply in love with Jesus, his church, and the lost. Those are our goals for parenting. And we want to send her those ways. And we've done certain things to help her to get ready for that. Like we've done devos together, we've prayed together, we've read this Bible together, all these sorts of things. And they've been really good. But I think the most important thing that we've done is we have made it like a life or death situation that she stays in close proximity to us. Because if we really want her to get our heart where Jesus lives and reigns, she has to have access and proximity to it. And I think that's the invitation that the Father has for you. Just come close. Come close. And you'll be refreshed and full of joy on the mission he has for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time Lord, thank you that you came and you entered our world, that you dwelt among us for 30 years, just showing us what it means to live amongst a people. And that you then, you, you knew us. You, you knew our temptation. You knew um, our infirmities. You knew what it was to be us and to have our story. And then, Jesus, you spoke the kingdom to us. You shared with us the heart of the Father. And you helped us through your spirit to apply it to our heart where we received life and forgiveness. Jesus, you, you did for us what we could not do for ourselves. You went to a cross, but then you stay with us. You stay with us in the healing process that happens after the cross where you apply your gospel more and more and more to us. And so, Jesus, we want to go in that way. We believe we'll be refreshed and full of joy if we go the way that we're sent. Would you help us to stay close to the Father as we express his heart toward one another first, toward a community who's in desperate need of it? We pray these things with great joy in our hearts. In Christ's name, amen.